Dear songwriter, I turned 35 years old a few weeks ago. So as sort of an arbitrary tribute to that sort of milestone, in this episode, I'm going to start to outline the 35 things that I have learned over the course of my career that have allowed me to do really cool things like tour the country and internationally, get featured on major publications, get placements in or get a placement, I should say, in an ESPN web series, uh, Brazil skateboarding show, produce music videos in L.A. and New York City, and build my dream songwriting mentoring business. Just a heads up that this is part one of two of this series. Part two will be released next week, but here is 35 things I've learned that have helped my career as a songwriter. My name is Connor Frost. I'm a professional songwriting mentor who's helped hundreds of songwriters to write their first collection of songs. And this is Dear Songwriter, the podcast to help you confidently write and release your music so that you can live your most musical and creative life. Let's get into it. Okay, as always, welcome to the show. I am a little bit under the weather. But I need to get ahead on some of these podcast episodes. I'm here. I'm doing it. And I'm excited because I had sent this out to my email list. This was a couple weeks ago now. It was received really well. It resonated with a lot of people. I think people like lists. I think people liked that this list was a little bit scattered, not in terms of being totally off topic from each other, point to point. But I touch on a few different things, some related to songwriting, some related to touring, It resonated with a lot of people, and so I thought, you know what? I'm going to turn this into a podcast. I am going to break it up into two parts, like I mentioned in the intro, just because it's a lot. 35 is not necessarily a small number. I don't think it's a large number, and I don't feel like I'm living a large number, but that's where I'm at. going to dive right in, so I guess today I'll do 1 through 18. Hopefully that math is correct, and then I'll do 19 through 35 in part two, which will be released next week. Okay, number one in terms of 35 things that I have learned over the course of my 35 years or over the course of my career as a songwriter. Okay, number one is that a show is a live rehearsal. So I can't remember who told me this. I think it was, maybe it was a bandmate 10 to 12 years ago, but this just really resonated with me because I remember feeling so nervous before starting to play shows, before starting to play out. And someone said that to me and I was like, oh, That makes a lot of sense because the truth is a rehearsal or a band practice or a practice, whatever you want to call it, is all well and good. Obviously, you should be doing those things, but there is nothing like an actual show. There are certain things that you just cannot simulate. You can't simulate the nerves. You can't simulate the crowd. You get better at playing shows by playing shows. And I think a lot of people think they need to perfect their live set before they start playing shows, before they start going on tour. And I just don't think that's true. I have become such a better musician and such a better performer because of all the tours that I did throughout my 20s and my early 30s. Had I not done all those solo tours, had I not done all those full band tours, there's just no way I would be the songwriter and performer that I am today. And I think this reframe that a show is a live rehearsal, hopefully, will encourage you to get out there and start playing live because playing live is not only going to help your performance, it's going to help everything. It's going to help your confidence. It's going to help your recording process. Some of our best recordings that we have ever done, our our tightest 
albums that we've recorded, singles that we've recorded are coming off the heels of a tour because we were polished because we'd been playing those songs live for a week or two weeks. So number one, a show is a live rehearsal. Okay, number two, melody is king. Okay, so there's this debate, melody versus lyrics, what's more important? I think they have a very important intrinsic relationship and it's hard to separate them. But lyrics without melody is simply what I believe to be a poem. It's the melody part that turns words into a song. And it's melody that really hooks people in. And lyrics definitely, obviously, extremely important. But I think it's the melody is what makes a song. And remember, melody is made up of pitch and rhythm. Also important to music, I would say. The notes that you sing and the rhythms that you sing or play, whatever type of music you're doing. So melody is king. That's number two. Number three. Car dealerships often have free coffee. Okay, so shout out to my boy, Zach, who is the drummer for my band, Dizzy Bats. We called this series Zach Hacks. (laughs) Zach has toured extensively over the last 10 to 15 years. When you're touring throughout your 20s, I don't want to speak for everyone, but a lot of times you don't have a lot of money. (laughs) And you're crashing on couches. You're hanging out at Starbucks for five hours on end. And so car dealerships have free coffee. Often. So if you can have the confidence to go in and say, yeah, I'm looking for a car. I'm waiting for a car or have the confidence to go in, get your cup of coffee and leave. Then that is for you. Okay, number four, right before you edit. This is something that I continue to preach and have preached for some time. I was just working with a client yesterday. Shout out to Mary. I think she listens to this podcast or she has. Hopefully she's listening to this episode. And we were talking about this. Basically, she had done really great work on writing a verse and a chorus. Even in just one session of working with her, really just took a serious jump. And it's hard to describe if you weren't there, but she really took this leap with her songwriting in just once in just one session. It was awesome. And we were kind of left with the decision. We were like, okay, well, do we go back and talk about some of these things or do we keep pressing onwards? And we decided that it would be best to keep moving forward because of the momentum that she had, but also the stuff that she was about to write in her second verse, third verse, bridge, whatever it might be, we thought that that could help to inform her on some changes that maybe she could make in her verse one or her first course. So right before you edit. Now, it's a balance. Obviously, this is not a totally black and white thing, but the point is, more often than not, you need to get to the end before you can look at something from a bird's eye view and then say to yourself, okay, Where do I go from here? So that's number four, right before you edit. Number five, the ability to not give a shit about what other people think may be the X factor. So this is something that I think is overlooked because you can have all the talent in the world. You could be Bruno Mars, right? But if you don't have the confidence or the ability to kind of like put yourself out there, that talent is not going to matter. And so not caring about what other people think allows you to take that step, right? And this is something that I have had to deal with over the course of my entire songwriting career from playing in a band, fronting a band, putting out music for the first time to this business. I was terrified to start posting content about songwriting. I was like, who am I to be posting about this? I'm still having trouble writing songs. Who am I to be posting content, starting a podcast? It's crazy. But I recognized that I had a message, not only through my songs, but through my coaching, and that it could be helpful, right? And I think it's certain things that happen like 
getting a message from that first fan who really enjoyed your album, right? That happened to me about a decade or so ago. Two, getting my first client with my songwriting mentoring business and really helping them. Once those things happen, and once those things continue to happen, they compound and your confidence starts to go up and you start to care less and less. So the ability to not care is huge. And I think that's overlooked a lot of times. And you have to work on that is the only thing. You're not going to wake up one day and just be like, all of a sudden, I don't care about what people think. You have to acknowledge it and you have to take steps to address it. Maybe that starts with sharing a song with a friend, sharing a song with a group of friends, right? Taking those steps, but knowing that it's there and knowing that it's something that should be addressed, in my opinion, assuming you want to get yourself and your music out there. That was number five. Number six, instead of trying to figure out how your songs can reach more people, focus on learning how to use your songs to connect with people. Okay, so this is a little, perhaps a little bit confusing. So I think in the beginning, I was very obsessed with numbers. What can I do to get this song to reach millions, even hundreds of thousands or even thousands of people? How can I get it to reach more people? What are the hacks? What are the algorithmic hacks for me to be able to do that? But what I learned as I was building my career is that the songs were actually just a way to connect with people and to connect people with me. There are many examples, but I'll give one example. When I decided that I wanted to start the songwriting mentoring business, the first few clients were people who were fans of my music. In having conversations with those people who had reached out talking about my songs and how they had positively affected them, naturally, the conversation was like, well, do you also write songs? And that's how this business started. It goes into this new music industry thinking, which is that you yourself are the product, not necessarily your songs, but your songs are the bridge from people who really support you or who really like what you're doing to yourself. So maybe it's less about how do I get my songs to reach more people, but more how do I use my songs as a tool, as a vehicle to connect with people. Hopefully that's clear. If it's not, let me know. Send me a DM, email. I'm happy to go into it a little bit more. Hey, songwriter, real quick. I want to let you know that my calendar is open at the time of recording this, which means I am accepting free, what I call just start calls. This is a one-on-one -on -one call with me or my team member, and we are going to set a goal for your music. We're going to address where maybe you're having some issues. And if it feels like a good fit, tell you a little bit about what it would be like to work with me and my team on your songwriting so that you can take that next step in your songwriting career. Okay, that's pretty much it. Oh, wait, sorry, you got to go to connorfrost.com, C-O-N-N-O-R, Frost, F-R-O-S-T dot com slash call, C-A-L-L, and you can book that free call. Hope to see you there. Okay, now let's get back to the show. Okay, so that was number six. Number seven, you are not above any menial task. When I think back to these opportunities that I was able to create, when I think about the opportunities that my clients were able to create and that I was able to help them create, there's going to be stuff that you don't want to do. Countless messages, countless emails, only to get rejected <laughs> by most. But you are not above it. I am not above it. And the minute you start to think, oh, I'm too good for this, or you think to yourself, this isn't for me, or I don't need to do this. I shouldn't have to do this. I hear that a lot. Musicians are like, oh, I just want to work on the music. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if you could just have other people do these things for you? And maybe you will one day. But there's always going to be some level of menial tasks that need to be done. And that's okay. But you are not above it. I am not above it. We are all not above it. Number eight, 
Your rebellion against and refusal to use any aspect of song structure may be rooted in ego. I'm a song structure guy. I'm just going to throw that out there. I like songs that have structure. So I suppose take this with a grain of salt. But when you even like look at or listen to some of the genres or artists that don't have clear song structure, there are still elements of song structure in there. Miles Davis, Bitches Brew, one of my favorite jazz albums. I'm not super into jazz as much anymore, but I definitely was for some time. And that record, super out there. And that was the whole point. Super different from what he had done. You could argue that there's no song structure in that, but there are still elements, there are still markers throughout some of those pieces that keep us grounded. Whether it's a melodic hook that brings us back to a feeling of a chorus, whether it's a certain groove, a certain cadence. So if you are refusing to use any aspect of song structure because you are searching for originality or you are not wanting to adhere to certain guidelines because you want to be original, you want to be yourself, I get it and I respect it. But I don't think using song structure and being original need to be mutually exclusive. So I think it's important to check yourself. Are you making these decisions because it's best for the song or are you making these decisions because you are trying to serve your ego? You might very much disagree with this and I am totally fine with that. Song structure and elements of song structure are there for a reason. Things like repetition is obviously a huge part of song structure and there's a reason why songwriters use repetition and it's to connect with their audience. And a way to do that is through using repetition and through using song structure. So all I ask is that you check yourself and ask that question. If you are rebelling against it, what is the reason for that? Okay, number nine, no one owes you anything. Pretty straightforward, I think. No one owes you a Spotify play. No one owes you a trip to your show. And I think if you can lock into this, the journey will become a lot more fun because people will let you down. If you have certain expectations, even of those people close to you, they're going to let you down. And I think as artists, instead of feeling like people owe us things like, oh, they should come to our show. Oh, they should share that our album on social media to instead praise those that do and treat those that do treat them like royalty. Focus on those people as opposed to trying or feeling like certain individuals owe you something. Number 10, focus is more important than time. Talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Julie and I did that episode about the retreat in reflection. It's amazing what you can get done in just 24, 48 hours of time if you just have complete focus. You can get more done in a day-long stretch with complete focus than maybe you can for an entire year. Obviously, you can't be at a songwriting retreat all the time, but I think trying not to worry so much about time, but trying to create focus. How can you create more focus? And I've talked about that in past episodes as well. Number 11, understanding the differences between the songwriting and production processes, as well as where they can overlap, could make your journey with songwriting a lot more fun. So I think people get really overwhelmed and have trouble finishing songs because they're confused about what the songwriting process is and what the production process is and where they overlap. When we talk about the core of a song, when you go to copyright a song, it's melody and lyrics. And so depending on who you are and what your limitations are, that might solely be your focus is to come up with melody and lyrics. Thinking that you can't do these other things, right? Like produce an instrumental or produce a drum track or whatever it might be, 
could be keeping you from writing because you feel like, oh, I don't know how to write a song. So I think getting clear on like, okay, what is your role as a songwriter? What are you responsible for? What does that process look like versus what does the production process look like? I think is important to get clear on. And I think either I've done an episode about this or perhaps I have plans to, I can't really remember, but I'll dig into that a little bit more, but get clear on the differences and similarities, I suppose, between the songwriting and production process. Number 12, if a motel provides a continental breakfast, get to that breakfast. It's part of the deal, right? If you're not getting to that continental breakfast, you are leaving money on the table. If you and your band, if you're paying $50 for a motel and you've snuck in three of your band members, get to that continental breakfast. Who are you to be turning down free food? And I know it's usually just muffins and Sometimes the eggs look like you have to like microwave them and and they look gross, but come on, get to that breakfast. Number 13, don't let someone else's definition of success in the music industry keep you from writing songs. This kind of piggybacks on what I said earlier about not caring what other people think, but just think about how crazy that is, right? If someone is telling you that success is going on the voice, as an example, and you think to yourself, I'm not really much of a singer, I can't get on the voice. I guess I'm not really cut out for this. When you think of it like that, it seems crazy. Define what success looks like for you and get clear on what that is, but don't let someone else define it, especially if they have nothing to do with the music industry. And usually they don't, or usually it's people who are having trouble getting started themselves and they're punching down, so to speak. Number 14, DIY does not mean do it all by yourself. Shout out to my friend James, who has this really cool podcast called the Band Hive Podcast. He said something a couple of years ago that really resonated with me. He said that we don't think DIY means do it yourself. We think it means decide it yourself. So like DIY culture, especially when it comes to music, it doesn't mean you're literally doing everything. You're managing everything. So if you hire a vocal coach, that doesn't mean that you're not doing it yourself. You are making the decision on your investments, right? You are playing the role of a CEO, so to speak. So make decisions yourself. And that's been what I've done. But haven't done it alone. That is for dang sure. Number 15, it's much harder for a melody to be memorable if it doesn't repeat. So I kind of already spoke about this when I talked about song structure, but you can't expect people to sing along to your songs if the melody just happens one time, maybe, but it's going to be much harder. So that's why choruses are a thing. That's why repetition is a major part of songwriting under the umbrella of pop music, I suppose. But even in other genres that you wouldn't call pop, there's repetition involved. Also, you're probably not being too repetitive. This is something that I was insecure about for a long time. Oh, is this too repetitive? Probably not. I think that's in our heads. Okay, number 16. Your nine to five job can be an asset to your music career if you use it and frame it that way. So I think my most productive years doing music were basically last time I had a full-time job, which was my first two years full-time teaching. The reason for that was I created focus and structure by having the job and then at night, would go to my other job, which was to work on my music. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about focus is better than time. Also, if you have a nine to five job, if you can allocate some of those funds to your music, to invest in your music, that's going to be huge. I was able to put a little bit of money towards my music during that time to fund my album, which then led me to my first tour. And I could afford it because I had the nine to five job. Now, that might not be the case for everyone, but point is if you're able to Put a little money aside for your music. That's absolutely what you should do if you have a nine to five job. And that's what I did and it definitely helped. And actually, when I came out of my nine to five job, which ultimately was the best decision for me, and I don't regret it, but those first couple of years, it was much harder 
for me to invest in my music. I was able to like do more music and I was able to make it happen, but I didn't really have the lump sums to invest in my music as much because I was just scraping by trying to find work. I didn't have that stability anymore. So use your nine to five job as an asset and it will be. Number 17, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is a snack and not a meal and that's okay. So this is an extremely controversial topic, but if you're trying to survive on just peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when you're out on the road, I just feel like you're not going to have a good time because ultimately it's a snack, not a lot of substance to it. So I think you use peanut butter and jelly to supplement your meals in general, but it absolutely should not be a main course. I think the one thing you could say is, okay, call it a lunch. That's fine. If you want to go as far as to say that it is a lunch, I have no problem with that, but don't expect that to tie you over through your show. Get a meal of substance for dinner, please. Number 18, your vocals should blend with the mix, not sit on top of it. So this is something I struggled with for a long time. I remember every time I would give mix notes to my mix engineers over the years, I would always say, oh, I feel like the vocals should be a little bit louder. And I think some of that was rooted in ego. I was like, well, I wrote these lyrics. I want people to be able to understand them. This is my voice. I want people to be able to hear my voice. This is the most important part of the song. It's what makes a song a song. But I realized that sitting on top of a mix is going to make it just sound less professional. So if your vocals are much louder, sure, your audience can hear them, but it's not going to be a great listening experience. And that's something that I learned. Creating a blend, treating your vocals like they are an instrument. Yes, they are the main instrument, but to treat it as a blend rather than sitting on top. Okay, thank you all so much. That was part one of this two-part series, 35 things that I have learned that have helped my songwriting career. I feel like I've been saying that title different every single time, but hopefully you get the gist. I'll bring the other 17 for you next week. In the meantime, happy writing. <laughs>